Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Sharp Lessons, everybody. Stadium Sports Betting Podcast. He's the professor, Nate Jacobson. I'm Ben Wittenstein. You can follow us at Stadium Bets for all of our bets for the whole entire year. Now that we're starting in January, all the college football bets. We're going to have NBA bets. We're going to have golf bets now coming up. So at Stadium Bets is the place to find us. But, Nate, it's 2022, new year. Saw a similar show, different dates. But we're excited. More bets to come. Yeah, definitely. Switching the schedule up a little bit, although I guess we have kind of been doing the the Wednesday, Friday, and actually we've been moving it around because there was that COVID week where they're like we were like, we can't talk NFL on Wednesday because we have no idea who's going to be playing on Sunday. So switching up to now Wednesday and Friday, we're probably going to record the show, though, uh, the afternoon or evening before on Tuesday and Thursday. So just to let you know that by the time you listen to the podcast, by the time it's released, news can change. But hopefully there's enough evergreen topics in there and that the COVID situation around the sports world kind of calms down where you could at least have a few good takeaways from our uh, analysis and advice, especially in a sport like golf where it's an individual sport. Um, and there's COVID definitely abound, but like if someone gets COVID, it doesn't impact the whole game. Like some sports like the NBA, Ben, your specialty, and then, of course, all the NFL and other football games that we've had to deal with the last few weeks. Yeah, so we'll have more segments coming out. We'll have more bets. Um, and, of course, we have, you know, the Super Bowl coming up, NFL playoffs. We've got the college football championship. So still a lot to talk about here on Sharp Lessons. Um, we do, before going to our uh, Sharp Lessons shortlist, Nate, we do want to recap what we did this entire fall because we have been keeping track of our records and the show records and all the games that we have been giving for best bets throughout the entire fall. And I am pleased to say we ended up in the positive. As a show, 46 and 38, a 55% win percentage for the show. So if you tailed every single bet, you are most likely uh, making money from this podcast this fall. Well, if you've tailed Ben, definitely. I only got 51%, and we have to pay the juice of minus 110 on each bet. That's a, <laughs> a small negative. It started off really hot. I think it was like 12 and 3 to start the year. And then I like couldn't get a best bet for like six weeks. So it was one of those weird <laughs> seasons where I had a lot of uh, trouble, I guess, with college football, especially like October. NFL, I think, was pretty solid, but I was very selective in NFL. I think I'll have an NFL best bet by the end of the week. Let's see if that line stays. It's a game we're going to talk about very shortly. And at the end of this show, I don't know if we're starting a new record or, or what we're going to do, but I will have a, a best bet in the national championship game next Monday between number three Georgia and number one Alabama. 
Yeah, we'll have a ton of bets for that one. I'm going to make, I'll have to make a list by our show for Friday of, of all the bets that I want to make. Some of them won't be best bets, but there's, there's going to be a good amount of bets. And I've had a lot of sure. success betting on Alabama. They're just a fun team to bet on. And now that they're the underdog, it seems really tasty to, to hit some of their, uh, the bets in terms of like team total and spread and, and everything like that. So we'll have a good list of that, um, come Friday. And for the bowl games, Nate, um, did a pretty good job on those. You had two bets. I think I did five throughout the bowl season, went four and one. You went one and one. But that yeah. Cincy Bama under was a really good call because that uh, really wasn't too much of a sweat for you. Yeah, I think both playoff games played out kind of how we expected in terms of Georgia maybe being a little bit of too short of a favorite against Michigan. I know, Ben, you have ties to Michigan through family, but even you were like, it's Georgia or pass. And I don't think we ended up making a bet on Georgia. I mean, I didn't, but that was the only way I could look. And then in the in the earlier game, the Cotton Bowl gave out the under, kind of talked about the Cincinnati team total under was attractive. I know Ben even said the Alabama team total under, which got there. And then Alabama first half is a possibility, hoping that they get out to a lead and kind of slow the game down, making it an opportunity to live bet the under, which I didn't end up doing because the live line at halftime was 44 and a half, which was much lower than the uh, 58 that I had and gave out yeah. 57 on the podcast. So I didn't feel like I had to double down just because there was such a low scoring first half. Thought the first half may have been a little bit higher scoring, where at least maybe Bama would have scored a little more. They did settle for some short field goals, but they end up the under very easy call. Cincinnati didn't get in the end zone. It's just remember Nick Saban, semifinal, big favorite. He's going to make sure that the other team isn't on the scoreboard too much. It's happened the last six semifinals pretty much. I guess the exception was Kyler Murray's Oklahoma, but Alabama got out to like way too big of a lead, and the total in that game was 80. So it's pretty simple when you have a team that's just completely overmatched by Alabama's talent, and it's a semifinal, and Saban has three weeks to figure it out. He's going to figure it out. And I know Cincinnati has some success on the first drive, but after that, this Alabama and their deep coaching staff of like 30 people were able to make those adjustments easily. And really make life miserable for Desmond Ritter all game. Yeah, it was. it's hard to second-guess Nick Saban in a game like that. And right. not great for the for teams not in the Power Five. Um, you know, you kind of hope Cincinnati could have put on a little bit of more of a show, a bit more effort, and maybe made it close. But you still hope some of those smaller teams at least have a shot in the future to get in the college football playoff at some point. Yeah, and with expansion, I think it's going to be a thing that opens opportunity. But, yeah, I think in the era of a four-team playoff, especially with some of those like teams like Cincinnati and a UCF, I think, are going to the yep. Big 12, it seems like it's going to be slim pickings anyway, uh, especially like when uh, like a team like Boise State, who's usually a regular as one of the better group of five teams, they're not as good as they used to. So, yeah, it does seem like an impossible path, um, especially because we're probably going to get expanded playoff in a couple of years. That would be great. All right, let's do our sharp lesson short list. SLSL got a couple fun games this weekend uh, in the NFL with a lot of playoff implications that are going to be very important for some of these teams. So we'll start with the first of three 49ers at the Rams, Nate. And this one has the Rams laying four. That total is at 44. Um, this is a really interesting line for me because as someone who has Matt Stafford on his fantasy team, he has been less than ideal for me and for the Rams. I think he's thrown six interceptions in his last three games. Ever since that Arizona game, he has um, been bad, quite frankly. He's been throwing really stupid interceptions. 
The offense has been up and down. Um, and the defense has been okay at points, but you know, they're playing a 49ers team that has shown to oftentimes outcoach its opponents. But again, this is a 49ers team that's kind of on a downturn at this point. Yeah, so it's definitely a fascinating game, and there's really only two NFL games this this week in Week 18 where both teams are going to be fully motivated, where they want to win, where it's not just like winning to get a better seed. It's winning to clinch a division, winning to get into the playoffs in the 49ers' case. They need to win to make the playoffs. If they win and the Saints win and they're playing simultaneously at the Falcons, then the 49ers are out of the playoffs. So this is a big game for them. The Rams would win the division and lock up the two seed, which is a win for them or a big deal for them, because if you can get the two seed, then you have a better chance of multiple home playoff games, which is good for a home team or a team in the dome like the L.A. Rams, who plays on artificial turf. So interesting line, as you said, and you said that the 49ers have had like kind of a tendency to maybe outcoach teams in, in terms of Kyle Shanahan. Well, he's had Sean McVay's number winning the last five meetings against McVay, including this year where the 49ers won on a Monday night as like a three and a half point underdog against the Rams. They won 31 to 10 and they just basically kept the ball away from the Rams offense, ran the ball down the Rams defense throat and pretty easy win that game for the 49ers. So the 49ers had like kind of the recent series history. Obviously, they have a ton to play for because they won't know what's the result of the Saints-Falcons game unless they're scoreboard watching at SoFi Stadium. I think the big question here, though, is who's going to play quarterback for the 49ers? Because we know Jimmy G has a thumb injury. Trey Lance played last week. It took him a while to get going. And even then, it was the Houston Texans. So this is a different team playing a very motivated Rams team than just a Texans team playing out the string. So we'll have to see how that situation goes and it seems like Trey Lance is going to play I know the 49ers took some money this morning it'll seem like because the line was like five five and a half and now we're at four or four and a half pretty much consensus across the board so fascinating game just based on the series history and the fact that it's more than a touchdown or field goal spread I would look toward the 49ers not a bet or a strong bet at all but that's the way I would look in this game uh, between the 49ers and Rams on Sunday. I'm with you. I, I like San Francisco in this spot. Uh, and they have, as you said, they have shown that they can beat up Sean McVay and the Rams for whatever reason. Kyle Shanahan knows what he's doing. They've covered three of their last four games against them. They they just look like the better team when they play the Rams. And now if they're going to be playing Trey Lance, I may be a little bit more hesitant right. to, bet the, to bet the 49ers, and I'm going to be all over them if Garoppolo plays. Um, but I think that Trey Lance issue, especially because he did struggle against the Texans, as you said, and not a good football team, that raised a little bit of eyebrows. And I think I think him struggling was enough of a concern, at least for someone like me who likes the 49ers at this number, to maybe give pause and just wait it out a little bit to see what the news is from, from practice and to see if Garoppolo has at least a little bit of a chance to play. I agree, especially because it's moved down to four from where it was higher. I don't think it's enough of a, a risk, I guess, or gamble to bet it now and think like, oh, I'm going to miss and it's going to get down to three or three and a half because of Trey Lance, but also just, you know, COVID news. You never know what's going to happen. I think the 49ers have had pretty decent COVID news and the Rams have already had an outbreak. So maybe there's a little bit more risk of the 49ers kind of having being on the bad end of 
COVID absences. So definitely a game worth waiting on. Definitely one of the games I'm looking forward to seeing on Sunday along with the Saints game because I have some preseason stuff on the 49ers to win 10 or more games. So looking to get a push on the line. with the Niners win. And then Saints under nine was a pretty strong bet. I push at worst, but I would love the Saints loss against the uh, the Falcons on Sunday to to win that bet. Yeah, it seems to me, too, with a team like the 49ers, that honestly, if if you're thinking of taking them, you might as well just take the money line at this point. Um, because at least to me, it feels like if they are going to lose this game, they are going to get clobbered. The Rams are just going to clobber him. You know, Aaron Donald's going to have a field day. Matthew Stafford's going to look like the Matthew Stafford we saw against the Cardinals and in weeks prior to that. And they're just going to clobber the 49ers. I, I think if you like the, the 49ers in this game, I think you should take the money line at this point. Cause it, it's tough for me to see them, you know, losing by like two or three um, in a game like this. If they're going to lose, I think they are going to lose big. Yeah, and you know, you're right about Matthew Stafford. I know you kind of talked about off the top, but he had three interceptions against the Vikings. They were still able to win by seven just because Minnesota wasn't able to capitalize. And then against the Ravens, he throws that awful pick six. He's driving again. He throws another very bad interception into Terrible. Uh, very tight coverage. And then I believe it was right out of the gate, second half, they're driving to take the lead, and he fumbles at a really on an inopportune spot. Luckily for the Rams, they were able to win the game. But, yeah, Stafford, after we thought he's kind of like turned the corner health-wise and maybe mentally that like after that Cardinals game that he was going to be primed to take the Rams to possibly the Super Bowl, definitely some question marks about his play. And you have to wonder if maybe some of those injuries are flaring up. And if they are, it's not good timing because even though the Rams are in a, a decent spot to win the division by just winning this game, there's some good teams in the NFC that won't be afraid of going in L.A., especially because L.A. doesn't have the greatest home field advantage. Game two on our short list for the weekend. Chargers at the Raiders. lot on the line for both of these teams, winning their in, essentially, uh, depending on what the Colts do. Chargers laying three, total 49. This is going to be a really fun game because at least the way I have perceived both of these teams, Nate, is they can be really good. But this season has been so inconsistent from both of those teams, especially with the Chargers. I mean, they're a team, at least early on in the season, that I really liked in a lot of games, and they were just disappointing. Weren't covering games. Their offense was struggling. And it's kind of continued throughout the whole season. So I think this is going to be one of those games where you go into it saying, I I don't really know who I could peg as a winner in this one. Yeah, I feel like the Chargers have a very high ceiling, and that part of that ceiling is when they're going for fourth down and converting. They could beat any team in the league. Early in the year, they go to Arrowhead with a very young first-year head coach and a second-year quarterback in Justin Herbert and beat the uh, beat the Chiefs. And then they go two weeks ago and lose to the Texans. So definitely a very topsy-turvy season for the Chargers, but they do have, I think, a much higher ceiling than a team like the Raiders. If you kind of look back at some of their recent wins, very fortunate with a lot of teams getting COVID the week that they're playing, a lot of backups, even third-string quarterbacks. I mean, a few weeks ago, they're 6-7. and They're going on the road to the Browns. And before all the Browns' COVID stuff, the Raiders were a a six-and-a-half-point underdog, and that game ended up getting moved. Nick Mullins ends up playing quarterback for the Browns that game, and the Browns probably should should have won that game. The Raiders need a last-second field goal to win. 
The week after they come home, Denver takes a lot of late money, even though the Raiders were the home team and the team that was in a better shape, especially because Teddy Bridgewater got hurt and Drew Locke started. And the Raiders did win the game, but they got no respect in the betting market. And then last week, they go to play the Colts. The Colts are able to get a lot of players back from the COVID list, including Carson Wentz, because the NFL changed the guidelines and protocols. But Wentz definitely didn't look sharp. He definitely looked like a guy who didn't practice all week because he was on the COVID virus list. So I feel like the Raiders have caught a lot of breaks recently to be in this position, especially if you just look at their last home game. As I said, they were an underdog to Drew Locke's Broncos. So the fact that the Chargers are only laying three makes me – Looking towards Los Angeles, that's the only way I can look into this game. If it stays at three, it's probably your best bet for me on Friday's show or when we record Thursday for Friday's show. Maybe it'll get down to two and a half, so that's why I'm holding off to make it an official best bet. But I like the Chargers a lot in this game to win the game, advance to the playoffs. And you did mention with the playoff scenario, there is one little quirk to it where if the Colts lose earlier in the day to the Jacksonville Jaguars, then both these teams would advance to the playoffs with a tie but I don't see these two teams, division rivals, kind of playing for a tie and having a gentleman's agreement. I think they want to eliminate each other, get into the playoffs on the right foot. Uh, but, yeah, definitely something I think will be talked about. But at the same time, if the Colts lose as over two touchdown favorites to the Jaguars, then maybe uh, there's a bigger concerns on our hands. So I like the Chargers in this game, waiting to see if I can get a two and a half, which is what the number was a little bit earlier in the week. Yeah, I would probably lean Chargers in this one, too, just because of what you said. The, the ceiling is higher. I think they have the better talent. Herbert's one of the better quarterbacks in the league when he is playing well. So I would probably lean Chargers. And honestly, I would probably lean towards the over in a game like this, uh, especially as long as it's under 50. I think you can, you're can you going to see a shootout from both of these teams. Um, Chargers defense is unreliable, and Raiders defense has come to show up in some games, but when you, when these teams know each other so much, you just, I think you're going to end up getting just a shootout. Um, so as long as it stays under 50, I'm probably going to lean towards the over and I would probably lean towards the Chargers in a situation like this. I agree with that on the under. The only thing, or the over, pardon me, the only thing that would make me consider the under is if the Colts do actually lose to the Jaguars. Because not saying like both teams are going to play for a tie and have some sort of agreement, because I don't think the NFL is going to be very happy with those teams if they do that. <laughs> they just tie at zero. Yeah, just kneel downs the whole time or something and <laughs> punts on third down. But if there is an incentive where like we have the safety net of a tie and we still get it, I can see it being like a pretty conservative game, especially if we get towards the end of the game and it's like overtime. I can see situations where instead of trying to go out and win the game, maybe you just like punt and try to pin a team back to try to win. But let's wait till we get there. Um, the Colts and Jaguars play early in the day, so there'll be a little bit of time to, to think about that angle. I hope that doesn't end up uh, playing out, especially because I kind of want to see the Colts in the playoffs because I think they're a team that could take down a division winner on the road just way their style of play with Jonathan Taylor. Uh, but, yeah, hopefully the Colts win, and then this game is truly winner-take-all. Yeah, their last game went under 52, and the uh, Chargers covered the three-point spread as they were three-point favorites in that one. And John Gruden was the head coach of the, uh, yes. the Raiders. It was, I think they were 3-0, and and it was 3-0 and against 3-0. and A lot of hype for that game, and it was in L.A., but it felt like a Raiders home game. Um, interesting to see the crowd here because I feel like the Raiders haven't had a lot of home field advantages playing in Vegas, but I, I'm guessing that 
they will feel like the true home team here just because a lot of team or fans in Vegas will show up to support the hometown team in a Sunday night standalone game. Now, this is also like the one other team in the NFL that probably has fewer fans that would travel for it or that are in other places other than L.A. than the Vegas Raiders. So the uh, the, yeah. the Chargers probably don't travel very well in terms of the fan base because they can't even get fans in their own stadium <laughs> sometimes. So this right. is about as home game for the Raiders as, as you're going to get all season long. Let's go to college football because we got the college football championship. The Natty on Monday. Georgia and Alabama, as the prophecy has foretold, uh, the SEC championship number two. Yep. Georgia laying three in this one. Three-point favorite, 52-and-a-half. Alabama is an underdog uh, yet again against Georgia in this game. Uh, do we? I'm leaning toward Alabama. I have an Alabama future, Nate, uh, that I bet early on in the season, so I have them at plus 250 to basically win this game, so I'm pretty happy that I got them at that number. Um, and I know you're liking the under in this one, too. I do like the under. That'll be a best bet for me at 52 and a half. I actually like the first half under two quite a bit. So for best bet grading purposes, I'll say under 52, but I'm going to split my bet or split, split my stake in terms of under 52 and a half and then under 26, 26 and a half first half. That's good enough for me. So I don't think it's going to get to 27 in terms of the first half total. So do you like the under in this game? Uh, let's start with the point spread, though, and you're kind of interested in Alabama. For me, it's Georgia or pass, and I know it's tough to make a stand and say I'm going to bet against Nick Saban in a title game against a coach he's kind of owned in the pass and Kirby Smart. But we have to remember Georgia was a six-and-a-half-point favorite in the SC title game a month ago, and in that situation, Alabama was in – like kind of the desperation where they needed to win that game to make the college football playoff. And Georgia knew that even if they lost, they were still going to make the college football playoff. So I think that the line adjustment, I guess, makes sense down to three. It actually opened Georgia minus two and a half, and they've taken a lot of the early money. So I could see Alabama, now that we're at plus three, getting a lot of money. And because I kind of lean Georgia, I'm going to completely stay away from the side. But I know when I was watching the uh, Orange Bowl on with a Friday night, I was hoping that Georgia would just kind of barely beat Michigan so there would be an opportunity to bet on them as an underdog and it would be a, a huge adjustment from them as a six-and-a-half-point favorite in the SC title game. So that's kind of my thoughts on terms of the point spread of the game where I wouldn't talk you out of betting Alabama because it is Nick Saban as a big or no, underdog, which we don't see a lot. And, you know, he's had Kirby Smart's number and Georgia sometimes in big games they get conservative and they – get scared and Stenson Bennett was a walk on. He doesn't have the pedigree like a Bryce young in terms of the quarterback position. So there's definitely, I can make a case for both teams. I just think George is a better team. It was indicated in the point spread in the SC title game, even though Alabama ended up kind of routing them, but Georgia did get out to a lead in that game and Alabama's unfigured it out. So I think with Georgia being able to play Alabama, having a great defensive mind and Kirby smart, being able to make adjustments, John Mechie, a wide receiver who was very important in the SC title game for Alabama. And I think Alabama missed a little bit in the Con Bowl, not in terms of winning the game, but their offense was maybe a little bit out of sync without Mechie. I could see a situation where Georgia finally gets the monkey off their back and beats Alabama and finally wins a national title. Yeah, Georgia's such a different animal than that Cincy defense that Alabama saw. And I think that's going to be 
the biggest talking point is how that Georgia line can get to Bryce Young and Alabama. Because we've seen when the D line gets to Young, he panics and he struggles and he, he's not great yet at improvising or getting out of tough situations in the pocket. That's how Texas A&M got to him. Since he kind of got to him a little bit in situations where you're like, ooh, he doesn't look as good as he probably should. So if Georgia's line can get through, I think they have as good of a chance as anyone to beat Alabama um, and even cover the spread in this game. But if you can, if, if Bama makes adjustments and, and see, that's the thing, right? With Georgia, they're the better team than Alabama. I completely agree. But I think Nick Saban's the better coach in this scenario. And I think okay. that counts for a lot in a game like this. A, because it is the national championship game. This means a lot, a lot to Georgia and a lot to Kirby Smart to make it to the national title, to be favorites in the national title game with this team, the team that, you know, they, they were excited to have this year that everyone knew was going to yeah. be a powerhouse. Saban's been here before. He knows what to do. Some players on his team have been there before. They know what to do. You know, it's this is kind of business as usual for Alabama. So you have to take that into account a little bit when you get to this game. That's why I do like that first half under type of thing. But it just seems to me that maybe I know without Mechie, their, their offense definitely isn't as dynamic. But three is a lot. It seems like it should be closer to like a pick or a minus one type of situation. Yeah, I think they wanted to open that line a little bit shorter and Georgia has taken the early money. So I would yeah. say that the opening number kind of was more to like your thinking and some people who have always thought this year that Georgia has been the best team in the country, even though they lost to Alabama, we're going to lay the price or the short favorite price or even a short money line price. I think from now until the game on Monday, and there'll be a lot of betting action on this game, especially as we head towards the weekend, that Alabama will probably take some money. So if you still like Georgia, I'd wait out. If you like Alabama, I'd probably take the plus three now because I can't see it getting up to three and a half unless there's a COVID issue for for one of the teams. And just back to the under, I guess I just want to lay out my case a little more clearer. But I think that Georgia, their defense really benefits from playing Alabama again, making adjustments. Kirby Smart, defensive coordinator Dan Lanning, not having a guy like John Mechie who's very important in the short passing game for Bryce Young. But then, as you mentioned, with the pressure that Georgia's facing, I can see a slow start of the game where it's kind of a feeling out process where the teams are very conservative due to their familiarity with each other. Almost like a a World Cup final when it comes to soccer, where the teams play really conservative because they don't want to make a mistake and get down a goal or down, you know, a touchdown in this case. So I could see this situation where it kind of got a little bit loose in Atlanta last month with Alabama kind of playing desperate and pushing and testing Georgia's defense, I can see kind of the opposite where it's a very slow paced game, very conservative, a lot of running, especially as Alabama had success running the ball against Cincinnati. I'm guessing that they're going to try to establish that early on, even though I don't think they'll be able to because Georgia's run defense is very stout. Yeah. I mean, these are two, Alabama's defense has gotten better as the year has gone on and Georgia's has been the best in the country since day one. So this is definitely a more of a defensive heavy matchup. The, the defenses, the highlights are both of these teams for the most part, um, in terms of, especially since there's going to be no Mechie and Bryce Young has, you know, not played up to some people's expectations. He, you know, he's a Heisman winner, but yeah. there's been situations where he's definitely struggled in terms of trying to figure out how to get away from pressure. I'm not saying like he's a bad quarterback by any means. No. But there is definitely some flaws in the way that he has played, and I would assume 100% that Kirby Smart has pointed that out to the defense and, you know, their game planning around something like that. Yep. 
let's talk it out. Look at some of the bets that we're trying to make for more NFL games because there is still a lot on the line for some of these teams that are playing. There are some useless NFL games this weekend that have no impact on the playoffs whatsoever, but right. there are some other situations for some of these teams, and especially in the AFC, there's still a shot for some of these teams to get the number one seed in the AFC. Yeah, so there's plenty of games this week where the game only matters for one team in terms of making the playoffs, we have the division, maybe improving your seed. I think some teams might not care about moving up to like a two to a three seed or a three to a four in terms of wild card seeds, a six to a five or five to a six, just because that extra week of rest would be nice for some teams because the wild card weekend's next weekend. But the top thing for me to look at is the number one seed situation in the AFC, because right now the Titans have the one seed due to the Chiefs losing to the Bengals. The Chiefs play on Saturday. So if they lose that game, that opens a door for a team like the Cincinnati Bengals, amazingly, that they're going to have maybe something to play for, because if they win and the Dolph or the Titans, um, the Titans lose to the Texans, which, you know, I mean, if the Chiefs lose to the, the Broncos as a 10 point under or favorite this week, then I guess anything is possible. And the, yeah, the week. Colts could lose to the Jaguars and all hell could break loose. Right. So, but it's one of those things where, like, if the if the Chiefs win on Saturday, then maybe the Bengals become less attractive in a bet against the Browns, although the Browns are resting starters. So maybe that's not the best example. But if the Chiefs do win on Saturday, the Titans then will face kind of the pressure. And I actually kind of like the Texans in that game because the Titans are favored by double digits on the road. Not a great team as a favorite. And Tennessee, they don't have to cover the game to get the one seed. All they have to do is win the game. So I think that line is inflated too much due to the fact that it's a must win, I guess, for the Titans. But that just because it's a must win situation doesn't mean it's a must cover situation. So I think when it comes to week 18, you have to be aware of betting on the teams with something to play for because that's all built into the price. And there's also you have to see there's something to be said about a division team that is playing with nothing to lose. And they would like nothing more than to spoil the Titans playoff hopes or at least make the Titans sweat a little bit. So there's something to be said about that. I, I'm 100 percent with you. I like the Titans and I think they're going to win. But double digit favorites is that's a lot. We've seen the Texans be fighters this season, too, yeah. especially lately. And Davis Mills looks at least competent. I know it's not great, but like you said, the t- Titans just have to win the game. So and I, yeah. I transitions nicely over to another team I'm interested in. It's the Atlanta Falcons. Um, this is like a right away a game I circled when I was doing my work yesterday on the NFL Week 18, and I know that the Falcons just got eliminated from the playoffs, but they're hosting the Saints. All year I've been betting against the Saints as a favorite, just not a good enough team offensively to cover numbers. I got very fortunate to cover against the Panthers in a game that uh, – I had the Panthers and was not happy with how things turned out. Really, everything went wrong for Carolina in the second half, and they failed to cover the number by one point. But let's go back, and and I'm interested in the Falcons. Maybe this line goes up, and I want to make sure that Matt Ryan's playing. But I can see the Falcons playing spoiler against a Saints team that I know that there's kind of a, a bitter rival between those two organizations. So. That's something like where the game doesn't matter for the Falcons in terms of the playoffs, but I think that they have a lot of pride in the Saints as a favorite playing with playoff pressure is kind of where I want to fade them. Yeah, and they've been they were able to keep it close at least for a little bit for the Bills. I mean, I, I would maybe even yeah. lean if, if you're not confident 
in the full game for the Falcons, which is completely understandable because they are the Atlanta Falcons. Maybe bet them plus three for the first half. Yeah. Maybe bet them money line for the first half. Maybe they make the, the Saints sweat. Maybe they make them worry, especially at home. It's a rivalry game, as you said. They're not going to just lay down for, for this Saints team. So, honestly, a, a Falcons first half bet, I think, would be a, a smart way to go for a game like this. Because I'm with you. I don't trust the Saints at all. I don't think they have the talent or the ability to do much, even in a must-win situation for them. They just don't. They're not all there, and they, they have not looked good this season, uh, especially as of late. And I know they've had COVID issues, but they just they don't have the talent for something like that. And then the last thing I'm looking towards, and kind of a strategy, especially if you're able to watch the games, I think live betting is very good in, in a situation like Week 18 if you don't have anything before the game. And, like, I look at the AFC East, and the, the Dolphins are hosting the Patriots, and the Jets are traveling to the Bills. And it's a situation where if the Bills win, they win the division. The Patriots can only win the division if the Bills lose a 16-and-a-half-point favorite to the Jets, and they beat the Dolphins. And the Patriots out to a seven-point favorite against a Miami team that just got eliminated from the playoffs. But I could see a situation where it's halftime of the game. The Patriots get word the Bills are winning by three touchdowns. They realize their chances of winning the AFC East are out of the picture. They have a playoff game next week. I could see a situation, a sharp coach like Bill Belichick pulling starters throughout the second half and maybe the Dolphins becoming a team on a live line to bet. So I think monitoring the scores of games where it's playoff implications are played simultaneously is important and that there's an opportunity to make some live bets throughout the day. So I like I would think I would bet the Dolphins. I wouldn't bet the Dolphins at plus seven before uh, the game begins, but if the Bills get out to a lead against the Jets, and the Patriots start playing resting starters or just know that they don't have the motivation anymore, I could see a spot to bet the Dolphins in the second half. Yeah, I think that's really smart. Just keep a heads up on some of these live scores. Um, there is one game that doesn't have impact on the playoffs but might have an impact on the draft. That is the Lions and the Packers, and the Packers in that one are favored by two and a half. Um, I think at one point it was a pick 'em, and then it's kind of the, the Packers have taken a little bit of money. And I, you know, don't be surprised that it's only two and a half for the Packers against the Lions. It's they're not going right. to be playing any of their starters. They've clinched up the number one seed in the NFC, so it's not going to be anyone of note that will be playing for the Packers. And they're going to be on the road in Detroit, so it just kind of depends <laughs> how. How much Detroit wants to end the season on a high note? Honestly, it's kind of a win-win, right? They win, it's a high note. They lose, it's a high note because they're going to get you know decent draft position. But you never know with Dan Campbell and the Lions what they're going to do when they show up. Yeah, so the look-ahead line in this game was actually Packers minus 11 because I think there was assumption that if all the NFC favorites, division leaders won out, the Packers would have something to play for where yep. the like teams like the Cowboys, the Rams, the Bucks would chase them. Because the Cowboys lost and the Packers won Sunday night, then they don't have anything to play for for pretty much three weeks. They can rest Aaron Rodgers and his, his broken toe if they want. They can rest other <laughs> players. Although Matt LaFleur did miss, mention that players going to play. I'm not sure what to believe. I could see maybe some players playing, maybe not the crucial players uh, getting at least the first half or something, maybe first quarter. We'll see at the monitor of that situation. But I was interested about the Lions because they have really like nothing to – we're talking about like late in the season, teams might want to lose for a better draft pick. But at worst, the Lions are going to have the number two pick. They're half a game ahead of the 
the Jaguars in like terms of the league standings as the second worst team. And assuming the Jaguars lose because they're big home uh, underdogs and or home yeah home underdogs and they clinch the number one seed, then I'm sure the Lions are gonna well, they're playing simultaneously. But I'm sure the Lions are gonna play to win the game. I'm not sure if they have the talent to even beat Green Bay's second team to win this game, especially because it's built in the number. But like, don't worry about like the Lions trying to tank because at worst they're the number two pick because right now. They're two thirteen and one. I think I'm doing the math right. Two thirteen and one, and then the next group of teams are all four and twelve. Yep. So at, at, you know they're not going to have a better record than any of those teams. The only team that they could have a better record is uh, a better record than is the Jacksonville Jaguars. So maybe the Lions become attractive, especially in a live situation. If the Packers do play some players, get out to a lead, maybe the Lions come back when the Packers put backups in. Yeah, I'm going to hammer that Lions money line. Might as well plus one fifteen. Nothing big. Just a little small money line play yeah. on the Detroit Lions like a sane person. Or you can wait live. Yeah, I think live is also, yeah, if they're going to be playing well, some starters in that first yeah. quarter, might yeah, as well take so them. I think, like, the Lions actually, uh, they were never a favorite, but it was, was, it was about a, close to a pick em, I think. Uh, yeah, it was pretty much a pick em. Actually, the Lions became a favorite at one point, and then Matt LaFleur had, like, a press conference where he said, he, like, he feels uncomfortable resting players for three weeks. <laughs> I think sure. there's something to that. I don't know if I fully believe it. I don't think Aaron Rodgers plays. That's not a guy who needs the extra game reps, and given his toe situation, would be uh, I'm sure he'd welcome the time off not having to play in Detroit with everything wrapped up in terms of the NFC. So we'll see what happens. Um, a lot of these lines are probably going to move based on information when we get knowledge about who's playing and who's not. So definitely follow the lines and don't be, I guess, I don't know, tempted, I guess, to make a bet just to have action for week 18. Cause there's a lot of uncertainty. It's almost like betting the bowl games in a, in a sense, except it's professionals and um, the game is, don't have two weeks, three weeks off, and there's coaching carousels in the middle of it. But it's still kind of the same thing where you're kind of looking, you kind of throw your numbers out the window and kind of looking at each situation um, on an individual basis. All right, let's look at golf before we end the show because golf is going to be coming up. Starting yep. in, we're in January, so, so it's, it's this golf week. season. You're yeah, excited. Yeah, resumes, resumes this week, the Tournament of Champions in Hawaii. Um, not going to have any bets on that, or at least giving out any bets. But next weekend, when we start with a full field event with the Sony Open, I wanted to kind of talk about how I bet golf and how I look to bet outrights, um, matchups, and then some other things, uh, betting live in terms of golf with full-on golf starting, I guess, this week, but like the full field stuff starting next week in Hawaii. Yeah, so what uh, what should people be aware of when they're betting golf and, and kind of be looking for if they haven't bet golf in a while or if they're just starting to bet out golf what are some tips you got sure so like at esports I, I like looking at the metrics the statistics and golf is measured by a, a statistic called strokes gain and it's a way to measure how a player performs compared to the field um, and their strokes gain off the tee which is kind of just how the player does driving the golf ball their stroke gain approach which is a lot of how players do in terms of using their irons and how close they, they get to the pin when they are taking those shots with their iron for strokes gain approach. 
a strokes gain around the greens, which is a lot of like pitching or chipping or in the sand and how they do there. And then strokes gain putting, which is just a measure of how good a player is doing putting for the, the week or over a period of time. So I always look at strokes gain. I put a lot of emphasis on the off the tee and strokes gain approach. You can really never go wrong betting on players who are doing really well striking the golf ball on their second shot. So I like looking at strokes gain approach a lot. And then at longer courses, strokes gain off the tee. And when it comes to like approach and or um, around the green and, and strokes gain putting, I usually try to kind of fade players who maybe the week before did really well putting. Unless they're known for being a really good putter, a lot of times putting is random and there's a lot of regression, sometimes positively to the mean, sometimes negatively to the mean, where some a player might get hot with the putter one weekend just as, as a fluke and then they kind of go back to normal where they're an average putter. So I, I like looking at those statistics where I put a lot of emphasis on the, the ball striking and then take a lot less emphasis in the putting, knowing that putting is random. I also like looking at course history as kind of like a guide. I don't just bet on players who play well at courses from the past because I like looking at recent form more importantly. But I will look at kind of the style, of course, and maybe target like guys who hit the ball really well off the tee at longer courses and then maybe at some of the shorter courses look at guys who are really good at their irons. And I think the key for me and how I've hit some outrights in the past and this past year and when we had the uh, the restart in June 2020 for golf when that was kind of the first sport back, kind of buying the dip on elite players, especially if there's an elite player who their metrics are saying they're hitting it well off the tee, they're hitting it well off their irons, but they can't get their putter going. If you can just get one tournament where they flip that putting to be maybe sometimes just field average if they're striking the ball that well, and if it's an elite player who has a winning pedigree and they're priced maybe usually in like the 16 to 1, 18 to 1 range, but you get them for the week at like 28 to 1, maybe 33 to 1, then that's usually the buy sign when I'm trying to get to outrights before the tournament. So those are some tips I like to look at when betting golf, and I like to apply that in the outright market, sometimes top fives, top tens, sometimes a top 20 if it's a real long shot, like a guy who's like 100 to 1 or more to win the tournament usually want to back that up with a top 10 or a top 20. And then also individual matchups where the sports books put out two golfers who are kind of similarly priced, and you can bet on which player is going to do better for either that individual round you're betting on or for the full tournament. I like doing full tournament, especially in an event where there's a cut. If you bet on a player who makes the cut and your opponent misses the cut or their opponent misses the cut in the matchup, then you have a winner before the weekend begins on Saturday, and that's always a rewarding feeling. So I like doing a lot of matchups uh, in, in terms of golf along with outrights because it's always fun betting outrights because you don't have to put down a lot of money to win a lot. And if you can hit a couple a year, that really pays throughout the – covers all your losses because there's going to be a lot of losses in golf. But if you can stomach the losses, the wins are very rewarding. The individual matchups, I think, are my favorite. Personally, those are the bets yeah. I like. I just like it that it's just like a matchup and it's more of a – conventional bet for me because you're betting on one person versus another than like just betting on the winner yeah and i I know the um people who bet golf like seriously or maybe even professionally they try to find uh you know market inefficiencies in the matchups they think they have a huge edge when it comes to just one versus one because at the end of the day even though the futures odds look attractive and you want to, you know, put down a, like a little bit money to win a lot. Like I said, there's still never like really good line value 
in terms of betting on the players just because there's such a big hole that they take hold the sports books take um, in the futures market and futures pool or the outright pool. So matchups are definitely like the best way to go if you're just looking to, you know, have success, I guess, making money. But if you do want to have fun, it's always fun to bet a few outrights because the winners are always a, uh, it's fun. And there's nothing better than a, a Sunday evening basking in the glory of hitting a, a golf <laughs> outright and taking victory laps on, on Twitter. Makes a Sunday a little bit better uh, when you got a winner going on in golf. Yep. So we'll have plenty of golf from Nate throughout the season. Um, this is just the beginning. He'll, he'll giving out picks on Tuesdays, which will be our Wednesday podcast. So we'll, We'll be ear to the ground for a lot of these golf picks. Um, but before we go, Nate, just give a best bet recap for the national championship game. Yep, national championship Monday, number three, Georgia, against number one, Alabama. Rematch of the SC title game where Alabama won the game. I kind of like Georgia a little bit, but I do have worries about Alabama and you know, being a very strong program, obviously, Nick Saban in the underdog role, Kirby Smart kind of getting owned by Nick Saban. So what I'm going to do in this game is look towards the under, because I think if Georgia wins this game, the under is also correlated. Not sure if even if Alabama wins, there's a chance this game goes under. But I just see a slow start in this game. Teams feeling each other out because of the familiarity. As I mentioned earlier in the show, kind of like a World Cup final in soccer where the team doesn't want to make a mistake, doesn't want to have a costly mistake that leads to the team going up in terms of like turnovers or anything and a lot of running early on from both teams. I also like that Georgia's defense got a firsthand look of Alabama this season, and I trust their coaching staff to make adjustments in this game. So what I'm going to do here, we'll grade it under 52.5, Georgia, Alabama under. But what I'm personally going to do and what I would suggest is put half your bet on the full game under and then half your bet on the first half under 26, 26 and a half. But as I said, we'll just grade first half or full game under for the podcast at 52 and a half between Georgia, Alabama national title game under. Yep. I like the under two and I like that under first half idea and I'll let you bask in the glory of making it a best bet because I do think that is a, a really good bet to make, especially with the familiarity, I think, is the key word between these teams. They they know each other well. They've played each other, you know, a month ago. And so they, they really know what to do with each other. They're going to have a feeling out process. I think you hit it all in the head there. So I do like the under, and that'll be, uh, that'll be a best bet for you. And we'll be back on Friday with uh, more best bets. I'm going to have some best bets for the Natty and some maybe some NBA ones. Um, as well, um, and more NFL, of course, on Sharp Lessons. But that'll do it for us, and uh, we'll be back by the end of the week. 